Thanks to all of God's people. This is Morka Joseph. We are now in lesson 97. And last time we're covering the last statement of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2. We were saying in essence that he's living by faith, faith in God, and he cannot live by faith in God unless you obey God. And that's in essence what happens to people when they stop obeying God, they stop having faith. Just like any human being, when you do not pay your debts to the bank, you don't have faith that they will give you another loan when you are in need of it. And that's basically the way it is. And uh, there was a time when the apostles wanted to know how to increase faith. And Christ gave them the example of the person that did what he was supposed to do, the servant, and that he made the point. Do you think that the master will thank him for it just because he did what he was supposed to do? In other words, only the servant that goes over and above and beyond that does more. In other words, the more obedience you have to God, the closer you draw to God, the more you do His will, obviously the more faith you're going to have. You're going to have a confidence and the boldness. And a lot of people don't understand that, and so they think that they can have, live by faith without obedience, and the two work together. One is the outcome of the other. That is, faith is the outcome of, of obedience. You don't obey God, how would you have faith in Him? And if you do not obey him, why, will, why should he do anything for you if you do not obey his will? That's, so you realize that too. And so that's what Paul is talking about. And so he continues in verse 21, chapter 2, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In other words, you have to understand that if you just obey the law on your own, apart from God, when the Spirit of God is not in you, that the, that the Spirit that both, as later on he would say, that's the spirit that makes it possible for you both to will and to do. If that spirit comes not from God, and you just try to do it on your own, you really do not have a relationship with God in that way, and therefore you have no need for a Savior. And as it is, as it is, if you want to walk by that way, as he said uh, another occasion, if you want to obey the law and you think that's the way you're going to have to have righteousness, you're going to have to obey every single one of the laws of God and never, ever sin. And of course, that is totally impossible. And therefore, what makes you really righteous, since we all sin and come short of the glory of God, is not our general obedience, but when we put our faith in God, He gives us that faith and gives us that will to do that which is right. And that's the point he's trying to make today. In other words, try, don't try to do it on your own because you cannot do it on your own. Now, you're supposed to obey the law, the law of God with all of your being and heart and mind and soul. Yes, God commands that. But just realize that you cannot do it on your own. You need help from God to really do it righteously. And that's how Christ is being formed in us when we obey Him and obey Him in faith and obey the truth that He gives us. And so he continues in chapter 3 by saying, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So the truth is not something that you just believe. The truth is something that you also obey. You see, he constantly teaches obedience. And as Peter would say, about those who do not obey the faith. And the faith is not just you know, something that you believe. You obey the faith. You obey the truth. And obedience is to a law, instructions. And God commands you to have faith. And you must obey that command. And how are you going to have faith if you are not obedient to God? So all those things work together. He's just trying to show human beings who were taught from a very young age to do things on their own. 
There are a lot of people around like that. I want to do it my own way. You see? And they do not want God to be a part of that process, to live his life in them. And it's from within that he cleanses us and purges us and purifies us and gives us that power and that will and that strength to want to do right. And that's how his nature is being formed in us. And so that was a problem with, with human beings, carnal human beings, who, who thought that they could do things on their own. And that's an attitude that we see an awful lot in people. They don't want any help. They want to do it on their own. And that's in essence what he's talking about. And people who do not know that background, they just uh, quickly, because they do not want to obey God, they'll find it convenient to say, aha, well, I'm just going to live by faith, and I'm not going to obey God. And so he's battling it on both ends. On one side with the Pharisees, with the Jew that was uh, learned to be disciplined from a very young age, like in the military, you know, it's self-will, self-power, you do it on your own. You don't want any help from God, and God is not really in it, and He's not putting that faith in you, and He's not walking by that faith in God. What's the use of obeying God if you have no faith in Him? And then on the other hand, He's talking to people who think, like the Galatians, that they don't have to obey the truth. What is the truth? The Word of God. What is the Word of God? But the teachings of God, the instructions of God, all the Torah of God. And so you've got a problem here both ways, and to this very day, we've got people on both sides. Some who are very strict think they can do it on their own. On the other hand, those who say, I don't need to obey the law. And both of them are wrong, and that's exactly what he's dealing with in his writings. People take advantage of this fact. And basically, it's based on misunderstanding. And so that's what he's telling them. Anyway, let's continue uh, uh, with the story here. And uh, we should remember it always, that when Paul talks, he talks from the point of view of the background that he has, of the understanding of the law, the understanding of what is really behind it, and what is it that God really wants, even in obedience, not a blind obedience, that has no, uh, no relationship with him, where he's not in it, he's not a part of the process. And that's what David was saying, when David sinned with Bathsheba, when he murdered, and uh, his death penalty should have been upon him, and yet he understood also, because the Spirit of God was in him. And it's not that God was playing favoritism with David, and he would not punish uh, him, but he would punish others, and demanded that the law be, be, be uh, paid for. In other words, the wages of sin must be death. He didn't demand that from David. And David understood it. That when your righteousness comes from God, and that's what he says in Psalm 51, verse 16, if you wanted sacrifices, this is what you are really after, you know, the doing. In other words, what can I do? People always want to do things. What's well, fine. You, know, you should be in that attitude also. But also understand that God is the one that has to be behind it. And you realize that His righteousness would not come by giving all those sacrifices and thinking that by doing those things, God is going to justify Him and righteousness will be imputed to Him. So David understood it. And so that's what he said in praying to God, in Psalm 51, and all of us are very well aware of that, uh, where he says in verse 16, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it to you. If this is what you wanted for me to become righteous by just giving you, in other words, paying the debt uh, of my uh, penalty with, uh, with something else, that is the animals, and some people think like that, well, uh, the way God is going to impute righteousness to me, if I'm going to do this and this and this and this and that, not realizing, yes, God commands you to do this and this and this and that, but he wants you to realize that justification comes from him, 
not from you, by doing those things, but first from Him, by acknowledging those sacrifices. After all, if He does not accept your sacrifices, what did you accomplish? And if He does not accept your obedience because of your attitude, where you think you can do it on your own, what did you accomplish by obedience? So the two, Paul says, very plainly, have to go together. And that was the problem of the Pharisees on one side, and that was the problem on the, on the disobedience to the law on the other side. And so David says very plainly, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it to you. And yet God commanded the sacrifices. But on what basis? If your heart is not in it, if you do not trust in God, if you do not wait on God to forgive you, of what value would it be for you just to offer the sacrifice? And you have to understand what, he's, what David is talking about. And so he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it to you. You do not delight in burnt offering. This is not the way that you want people to repent. You want them from the heart to obey you. So they don't have to go through that and kill an innocent anim animal and think that by doing that, that you have solved the problem and you're justified. God is the one ultimately that justifies. And so when you do it, you do it from the heart with total repentance, realizing the evil that you have done. Then when you do it, then God would accept the sacrifice, but not the other way around. And so it says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. So the sacrifices are still there. It's a broken spirit. That's the first sacrifice he wants. A broken and a contrite heart. This, O oh God, you will not despise. And that's what people don't understand. They think that by doing things on their own, they are going to please God. Just like the pagans, that's how they function all their lives. They were offering constantly sacrifices to appease the gods. You know, so their wrath will be taken away from them. God is not interested in being worshipped like that. And that's what Paul is trying to explain to the Gentiles who do not understand it on one hand, and he's trying to explain to the Pharisees, on the other hand, did not understand it either, properly. That we must obey the truth, we must obey God, we must offer the sacrifices that God demands. And ultimately speaking, he says in Romans 12, the sacrifice you really offer is yourself. God demands that. That's your reasonable service, he says. But then if you do not do it from the heart, realizing that He is the one that will forgive you if you come to Him, and from the heart repent, all the other things that you do will do you no good. And that's what He's saying here. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. You see? And that's what God demanded from Israel all along. And this is exactly the same law that He's commanding uh, his people who are not having the spirit to abide by. And God hasn't changed his religion, and hasn't changed his demand, and he's not coming up with a new theology, and Paul is not preaching here anything new. That's exactly what David was saying. And Abraham understood it. That you serve God from the heart. You obey him. You have faith in him. And then you obey the faith that demands everything else. And so his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But as James would explain the other side of the coin, that all the works of, uh, all the faith of Abraham wouldn't do him any good unless he did what he was supposed to. You see? So faith without, without works, James counters on the other side, is nothing. And Paul is dealing with the other issue. That works without faith uh, is also nothing. You see? They're not contradicting each other. Just talking about the two sides of the coin. And the religion of God has always been the same. Those who were spiritual always understood it. And God is not giving here a new religion through the Apostle Paul, creating a new theology. 
And yet that's exactly what people went for, and so to this very day, people find it convenient where they do not want to obey God, so, well, I'm living by faith, I'm living by grace. Oh, well, that's the way you feel. Paul calls you a foolish Galatian, or a foolish whatever you are, who think that you should not obey the truth, that you do not have to obey the word of God, that you do not have to obey the laws of God, and obviously you have to understand what laws are applicable to you and what are not. And when you study the whole matter, then you realize what things under the circumstances can be applicable or not. You don't learn that by just studying a few little things and you think you know it all. You've got to study the whole thing. And God demands that. That's, uh, these are the only people that God is going to give wisdom to, to understand his will. Now, in chapter 4 of Galatians, we read in verse 21 and 31, to 31, that is, in verse 21 we read, uh, speaking about those who think that they can do it on their own. Tell me, you who desire to be under, that is under the penalty of the law, do you not hear the law? So on one hand he says, you know, you who, who think that you can do it by, just on your own, just by obeying, obeying the law, why don't you listen to the law itself, what the law says? That is the Torah, the Torah, the teachings of the law. It's a part of it. Which is uh, ironic. On one hand, pe you know, people want to obey the law, on the other hand, they're not listening to what the law says. In other words, God will listen to the entirety of the matter. That's what he's telling them. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was the bondwoman, and what is a bondwoman or the bond, you know, bondman? A person that is under obedience. You tell him you go do this, he goes and does that. He has no choice. And so he may feel, well, I'm doing my thing and all that, and I should be justified. Of course, it doesn't work that way. God still is the one that justifies, so whether you do it or not, on your own, that does not justify you. So it explains them the two differences here. You know, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. In other words, man's efforts. And man's efforts are not good enough with God. He has to be a part of it. And with Isaac, he was a part of it. You see, he gave the blessing, he gave the promise, he opened the barren womb, but still, Sarah had to do the work. God didn't do the work for her. He worked with her, but he didn't do the work for her, so she still had to do her part, and Abraham had to do his part. They both had to have, you know, their effort in, in producing Isaac. And Sarah had to go through the pregnancy. So that's what he's trying to explain to them. It's an effort both by God and man. And when it is that way, then you have faith and you have obedience. And so when they had faith that God will promise and fulfill His promise, then obey, they obeyed His command. You go and have a son now. And they did. That's what he's trying to explain here. It is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. But in both cases, the flesh was involved. So that's understand what he's talking about here. It's not that Abraham and, and Sarah just sat down on a rocking chair and expect, expected the promise to happen, and they did nothing about it. You know that nothing would have happened. That's what James says. Faith without words avails nothing. And some people think, well, I'm going to stay at home, and I'm going to trust in God that He will provide me our needs, and I don't have to do anything. I live by faith, and God is going to go to work for me and bring me the wages home. Doesn't work that way. No, you just believe in that God will provide and take care of your needs and open doors for you, then you go and walk through it and do the work yourself. 
once you realize that God is in it, and that's exactly what he's talking about, and all those who came and became so-called uh, Christians into Christianity never understood that. And on the other hand, there was always a problem of the Pharisee who thought he can do it on his own. Now, that's what God is dealing with, and from the beginning of time, he constantly wanted men to obey him, yet in faith. You see? Letting God be a part of the process, not separately, and to think he can do it on his own. And yet, on the other hand, there are people who think that, you know, I'm just going to live by faith and would not obey God to do their part. In other words, they want God to do his part, but they are not interested in doing, in doing their part. And there are people on the other side who want to do their, uh, the whole thing on their own, don't want God to be involved in the process. That's what Paul is dealing with throughout the entirety of all the letters that he's writing to the, Galatians, to the, to the Gentiles and also to the Jews. Because the problem was on both sides. They did not understand the faith. That the faith is not something you just have, you obey. They did not understand the truth. It's not just something that you have the truth, you must obey the truth. That's what I'm saying that, you know, the Apostle Paul was the greatest, probably the greatest champion of the law. Having a very deep and profound knowledge and understanding of it, and he's the one that had to deal with it the most. With the... Not only with the Jews, because that was his commission to go to the children of Israel, all of them. And you know, finally, he went up even to the house of Israel, the ten tribes, Britain, other places, as we learn from history. But he also had to deal with, you know, with Gentiles who just uh, wanted the free ride, just by faith, just like they do to this very day, a free ride. I'll sit in my rocking chair and you do it for me, and I'm saved. And he says, it doesn't work either way. You gotta have faith, but you must obey the truth. Obedience and faith go together, and that's how righteousness, all the law that must be there, that's our effort and the righteousness which is by faith, work together. The two are demanded by God, and people think it's either one, and it doesn't work that way. And so he's speaking about this uh, free woman and a, free, uh, and, and a bond woman, verse 24, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, symbolic of the two covenants. You see, the first covenant is God gave Israel a law and they had to do this, this, and this, and this, and that. They didn't have the relationship they should have had with God. They didn't do it by faith. It's just discipline. If I will do this and that, well, God will forgive me. And that's the way they function. And it's not good enough. That may be good in the beginning, you know, like children, you know. Parents tell them to do this and that, and they do it. But then they want them to come to the point where they do it by faith. When they allow the spirit of their father to be in them, so they don't have to be told constantly, do this and do that. Because they believe in their father, they believe in the promise, they believe, you know, in what uh, the father tells them or their mother tells them. They do those things, now they do it out of love. Now there is a relationship between them. It's not just like the bond servant that says, well, you told me I got to do it, you know, that's all there is to it. And that's the end of the relationship. And that's exactly what Christ told his disciples. If you want to have more faith, if you want to have more relationship with God, so when you call upon him, you'll do what you want. You obey him all the way, over and above and beyond. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to teach in you know, both groups with two different opposite philosophies. And none of them was right on their own. The two together are right. And so he says in verse 24, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. In other words, you are not under the law. You don't do the law, you know, you're in trouble. 
And God doesn't want them to have this kind of life. That's not a mature life where you constantly have to live in fear. You don't obey the law. The law will, will exact, you know, its wages. And that's death or penalty or sickness or whatever it may be. God wants them to have a relationship with Him so they walk together and they have faith. And then, you know, they, they, they don't make it here and there. That's fine. God is going to forgive them. And they know that it is from God to forgive. It's not on their own because they've done uh, this and that, you know, basically. Uh, you, if you committed a certain sin, whatever it may be, based on that, you offer offer the sacrifice, and God says, well, you bring the sacrifice to the priest, and uh, he will uh, sacrifice it and atone for your sins. But you see, that's a childish relationship, and God wanted them to go above you, to, to have a mature relationship with him, an adult relationship with him, in which case, both are demanded, faith and obedience, not just one of them. And so, speaking of the two covenants, Verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds in Jerusalem to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. You see, God gave them laws, and they don't obey those laws, they're in trouble. That's bondage. That doesn't mean that it's bad law. All it means is that you are dependent on obedience for blessings. And if David depended on obedience for blessings, he would have been put to death, you know, for the sin of Bathsheba in uh, Orijah. But understanding that when you have faith in God and you walk with Him and He is the one that justifies you and you have a relationship with Him and then you obey His law also at the same time, then you're going to have grace and mercy and forgiveness and justification and righteousness that comes from God and you're going to have both in you, the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith. And that's where the issue that Paul deals with constantly into this very day. People who are unlearned, who do not understand what he's talking about, are wrestling with it to their own destruction. And we must be wise, mature, understand both. God would not allow anybody into his kingdom who is not obedient to him. And on the other hand, God is not interested in people who are just obedient by blind uh, works. He wants them to look at him, have a relationship with him, have his will done in them, seek it, desire it, hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see? Not say, I don't need righteousness, I just live by faith. He wants the totality of it. And that's what Paul is dealing with. And that's what God demanded from Israel. That's why he told them, yes, I give you a law and you must obey it, but also he said, circumcise the foreskins of your heart so your obedience to me would not be out of fear, but to have a relationship with me where my faith is in you. Therefore, when you've got problems, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. But he constantly had to show them signs and wonders to make them convinced that he's there. And as soon as they had a problem, instead of having faith, saying, no worry, no problem, God is going to take care of it, they started complaining and belly aching and uh, doing it to this very day. And that's the way many of us function. And yet God demanded faith and obedience. And when you have both, then you have confidence in God. And you can speak to him boldly. Some people think you can come to the throne of God and speak to him boldly, you know, through Jesus Christ without obedience. Those are ignoramuses, arrogant people. God is not interested in people like that. No, it's when you totally obey God from the heart all the way, without reservations, then you can say to the mountain, move and it shall move. And people think that just by having faith you can do it. That's not what Christ was talking about to the children of Israel. And from the beginning of time, that, that's the way it was. 
Uh, you can see the example of Moses. Oh, yes, he had the faith. He knew that God, when God told him to go and speak to the rock, and you know, he's going to speak to the rock, that water will come out. He had no problem with that. His only problem is that because he was so angry at the people of Israel that he forgot to obey God. So he had faith. Yes, he knew it's coming, and it did come. Because God was not about to shame him and, and, uh, and uh, lose credibility and so with his people of Israel. And yet he told him, because you blasphemed, you and Aaron, you blasphemed my name because you did not obey me. I told you, you speak to the rock. I didn't tell you to go and talk to the people. You see? And Moses learned that very quickly. That was a major, major no-no that he committed there and he had to pay the penalty for it and God was not about to forgive him for that because all of Israel were affected by it. And God is not a respecter of persons. And so he made it very plain. Faith and obedience go together. When Moses had faith but did not obey, he paid the penalty. And so will we. That's why Paul tells the Galatians, you foolish people, what do you think? You know, you can, you can just do it by faith. Who taught you? Who deceived you to believe that you can't do that without obeying the truth? And so he tells us the same thing today. There are many in our midst who are so confused, do not understand, have no background, don't read the whole story, and they just choose and pick what is convenient. And so they say, well, I'm spiritual, I don't need to keep the Sabbath, I'm spiritual, I don't need to do that, and I'm spiritual, I don't need to do the other thing. And God says, oh, you're foolish, whatever you are. What makes you think that you can have a relationship with me when you do not obey my voice? As he will tell those who will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? You do not obey my commandments. You are lawless. You think that just by faith you can make it without obeying my voice? No, you're going to hit both of them. And so that's what he's saying to them, to the Galatians, and to all of us. He's not writing it only to the Galatians. God's inspiring him to write it to all mankind. To both Israel, the Israel of God that are physical, and the Israel of God that are spiritual. And to the ones that God is grafting among them. And they're going to teach the same thing to all the nations of the earth. So all of them are going to have you know, obedience to God and faith in Jesus Christ. The two go together. And so in verse 25 he says, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, ye who do not hear, speaking from uh, Isaiah, or God is promising there in Isaiah to his own people that he's going to marry them again. But that's when he brings them back out of captivity when they both learn to obey him and have faith in him. And they become the Israel of God in the spirit, not only in the flesh. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not fear, break forth and shout, you who are not, who are not, that is, who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And so, Israel, who had a husband, the God of Israel, because they had no faith, she became desolate. And yet when Israel returns to their God and have the Holy Spirit and now obey Him not only on their own effort, but also in faith and allow His righteousness to be in them, then that Israel, which is still the same Israel with a few more grafted among the nations, it's not another one, another entity, it's still the same one, and that one is going to be multiplied and be so much more so because not only she's going to be restored to God, all of Israel, but also all the children of the earth will become her children. That makes her even more than the one who used to be married before that, which is their ancestors, their own people, themselves. 
while they walked only in the flesh and their obedience was only in the flesh, in the latter. And if you don't have the background, you don't understand what, what you are reading here. And so in verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And who are we? Who are we? Who are the people that he's talking to? Who are the churches in Judea? What was the foundation of the church wherever he went? He went constantly to the synagogue first. He laid the foundation there. And then on top of that, there were additions. That's when others were being added and were grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. He's speaking about Israel. And the ones grafted to them who are now Israel also. And they're all children of Isaac. Children of promise. Not only children of, of promise in the flesh, but also children of promise in the spirit. Both ways. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. And so when some Israelites, many of the Jews, were being converted, their own brethren, their own brethren, were persecuting him. That's much of the persecution that came upon Paul from his own people, who were still children of promise in the flesh, but not children of promise in the Spirit. And that's exactly what was happening there in, in, in the days of old between Ishmael and Isaac. They were both children of the same father, yet persecuting one another. In verse 30, Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir with the son of a free woman. In other words, a person that is not willing to have a relationship with God, not just be a bondservant, just obey because he's a bondservant, he's supposed to do it because he's under the law or else God is going to get him, so to speak, you know, with a death penalty or punishment or sickness. But now that a person has a relationship with God, in faith, still obedient, not disobedient, but still obedient, but now in faith, that it is of God both to do and to will, that Christ lives in him, as, as Paul says, I am not the one now alive, that Christ lives in me. Well, is Christ going to live in us through disobedience or through obedience? You know, if he had to be obedient unto death, you think he's going to, you know, he's going to allow us to get away with it without obedience and just doing it for us? You see, that was the insanity that entered into them. You know, that's why he called them, you fools, you foolish Galatians. How can you ever believe that? Because they had liars, you know, on both sides. And so God says he's going to cast away people like that. On either side, those who will think you can live only by faith and those who think you can live only by the flesh, by their own efforts. God is not interested in either one of them. And so then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And this is what he commands all of Israel to be. So you have to become circumcised in the flesh to the Israelites, and also in the spirit. And to the Gentiles, since God did not command them, just like he did not command Abraham in the first 25 years to be circumcised in the flesh, he still commanded them to be circumcised in the spirit. So the command is still there, the law is still there, obedience is still there. You know, it's not scot-free. It's not a cheap grace that God offers mankind. Let's continue now in chapter 5 and verse 7, where he's telling his people, both uh, Jew and Gentile, and specifically to the Galatians, they're mostly Gentiles. Uh, in verse 6 he says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And what is love but fulfilling all the Torah, fulfilling of the law? So that's what he's saying. You've got to have the whole package. Faith in God, obedience to God, and then your circumcision 
if you are an Israelite, avails much. And your uncircumcision, if you are not an Israelite, avails, avails much. Why? Because you are not only walking by faith, but you also obey God. And people who read it don't understand it. And so he repeats that again. Verse 7. You run well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Wherever do you ever escape obedience to the law? Never. There's no such a thing. And yet many believe those lies in our own midst. Many people have believed that in the past 2,000 years, and that's why Peter said, there are people who read the writings of the Apostle Paul. And if you are not learned, if you do not know the law, if you do not know the entirety of both aspects of it, of obedience and faith and righteousness and how God justified, you see, and how God offered the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, why is he told Isaac? Because Abraham obeyed my law, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my judgment. That's why I give him promises and covenants and I'll give it to you too. And you too must obey. You see? And Isaac and Jacob had to walk in the same way too. He had to obey God and have a relationship with him. And so it was with Israel. That's the reason why God had to die. Give his life. Because of disobedience. So people think, well, God gave his life for disobedience. Now I can do whatever I want. That's what Paul is saying. You know, there are all those liars out there that say, no, let us sins that grace may abound. They say, you fools. It doesn't work like that. In verse 7 he says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. In other words, you allow a little sin in, a little, you know, false idea there, misconception. You begin to disobey God and pretty soon you become a disobedient person. And that's how, that's how Satan began to trouble. First, a little bit. Well, you know, I don't have to do everything that God tells me to. In other words, yeah, yes, I know he's God. He can do all those things. But I don't necessarily have to obey everything that he tells me to. Well, pretty soon you begin to think that way. You find yourself in total disobedience. And you end up being uh, Satan. That's exactly what, uh, what, what Paul was warning the Gentiles of. He said, if you continue in that way, this is the way you're going to end up. You know, the whole lump is going to be leaven. You're going to be, again, children of disobedience. Children of the devil. And so we must understand the faith of God. And uh, then in verse 13, he tells them, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. What do you mean liberty? Well, I don't have to do anything. How can you have liberty in this land if everybody does his own thing? You don't have liberty, you have chaos and anarchy and confusion. And everybody comes and robs your house, you know, and rapes your wife, your wife or your, your daughter and uh, steals your property and all that. What liberty is that? You're not talking about liberty where everybody can do whatever he wants. You're talking about liberty and obedience. When everybody is obedient, then you can have liberty and you can walk free in the streets and not be afraid that anybody's going to mug you or steal, you know, your property or kill you or whatever it may be. You see, apart from law, there is no liberty. Apart from law, there is no faith that really works. A relationship with God. And that's the whole story of the writings of the Apostle Paul to Gentiles and both to the Israelites. And to this very day, people don't get it on either side as they should. you got to have the whole package deal. Abraham both walked by faith and it was counted to him for righteousness and also obeyed God. And so when he came to the ultimate supreme sacrifice on his part to offer his own son, which God gave him by promise, he didn't argue with God. Since he had faith in God that he will fulfill his promise, he obeyed him. And that's the way it works. I mean, many of us do not have faith. It's because we do not obey God. We think we can get away with murder just because we have faith. We walk by grace. 
And it doesn't work like that. And so it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh to do whatever you want. You see, it doesn't work that way. But through love, serve one another. And when you serve one another, you're becoming a bond slave of your brethren. When they're in need, you care for their needs. You see, so you got obedience, which is a product of love. And love is the fulfilling of the law. Verse 14, for all the law, the Torah. You see, all the Torah is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, there is no way. There is no way without the Torah. There is no way without obedience. There is no way, you know, without keeping rules and regulations, legalities of the law, and those things which are not, you know, matter of legality, affection and warmth and kindness and compassion against which there is, an, there is no law. That is the entirety of the Torah. And this is what God preached from the Garden of Eden. There's nothing new about it. God is not inventing a new theology. He's not going to new people to invent a new theology and creating a new entity called the church. This is what he wanted Israel to understand from the beginning. From the beginning. That's why I told them, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, because otherwise the law that I gave you is not going to do you any good. You've got to have both. Not only that I dwell in your midst, but I dwell in you. That's how you become the temple of God. It's not enough just to build me a temple if I'm not in you. You see, but in the beginning, that's all they could have as children. You know, not adults in the spirit, not mature, only babes in Christ. So babies in Christ, you know, they, they need uh, like the playpen, you know, so to speak. You know, that's the temple, physical thing. But then ultimately when everybody becomes mature, the father comes, he, he, he becomes the temple. He and the lamb become the temple. Because then he inhabits all and he's going to be all and in all. And that's what he's trying to explain to them. Love, faith, you know, righteousness, righteousness of the law, righteousness of the flesh. And people that have this attitude, well, I don't have to obey this, and I don't have to obey that, and I don't have to obey that. Well, they're walking the way of Satan. That's all it is. That's the way of Cain. And I'm not my brother's keeper, you know. Why, why, it shouldn't be my business to do it. You know, that should be his problem. And that's the attitude. And then when you begin you know, to walk in that attitude, well, pretty soon you don't want to do anything. And you become disobedient, and then you think you can live by faith and by grace. A lot of people are falling, you know, for this uh, lie to this very day. The soothsayers, you know, that are out there calling themselves ministers. And that's what Christ said. Many shall come in my name. Oh, they're going to teach you about grace. I died, you know, for them. Christ died for you. Christ lives you and all those things. And they're going to deceive many. How do you deceive? You teach them you don't have to obey the law. You don't have to obey God. You don't have to obey the truth. You don't have to obey the faith. Just live by grace. Live by faith. And everything's going to be all right. You're going to go to heaven and all those things. Whatever other promises they give them. Paul said, uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. It's only the unlearned, you know, that believe otherwise. And that's what Peter is saying. It's not for those who are learned and know how it works and know the process and know what Father Abraham had to go through. When God told him, you get out of the country, he did. He obeyed. When God told him, offer Isaac, he obeyed. Whatever God told him, he did. That's why he gave him the promises and that's how faith works. Work, you know, and faith go together. Not separately. You want to have more faith? More faith in God that He will do what you want? Obey Him. A lot of people are preaching on Allah, you know, faith in God. I don't even bother to mention the law. But without obedience, you can do nothing. 
You cannot go and perform miracles, you know. Some people like to give this this uh, feeling that you can go and do everything. You can do be, you can be Father Abraham. You can be like David. You can be like everybody else. You can perform all the signs and wonders and miracles. You can move mountains. No, you can't. You need two conditions. One is one is obedience to God all the way. The second is if it is His will, it'll be, it'll be done. If it's not His will, all of your obedience and all of your faith are not going to do anything either. You have to understand the entirety of the story. There are many people there who are ignorant. They have partial knowledge. So you've got to be careful of that. Otherwise, you're going, you know, you're going to hold the high hopes and then you go dust them to pieces and then you get disillusioned and totally lose faith in God and, and give it up and say, you know, what's the use? Now you're going to walk with God. Walk with God. Obey His voice and commandments and trust in Him and have faith and righteousness and then say whatever your will is. As Christ had to say, who obeyed God, never ever committing a sin, had all the faith in the world and all the obedience in the world, and yet when he demanded, you know, asked something from God, not demanded, he asked something from God to do it otherwise, he realized, no, your will be done, in spite of all that. So you've got to have those three elements, faith, obedience, and then waiting the will for the will of God to be done. He ultimately will decide whether he's going to do it or not. And so you're going to have all of this together. And that's what Paul is trying to explain to them. The whole package deal. And people who don't understand it, don't know what it means to walk with God. And so again, the Apostle Paul is telling the brethren, in verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you love God in like manner, and you fulfill all the other conditions. And then he continues in verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And when you do it, you are in essence breaking the laws of God. You are breaking the laws of the Torah, the teachings of the Torah, of love your neighbor as yourself, the royal law that you read in Leviticus 19, and many other laws that God gave Israel, that you must do, you must fulfill if you are going to walk in the way of peace. And because they did not do all those things in time past, God said, the way of peace they know not. And because they didn't know it, they committed an awful lot of atrocities against one another in oppression. And those were reasons for him to finally throw them totally out of the land, both the houses of Israel and the houses of Judah. And so nothing has changed to this very day. And even in, our, in the midst of the people of God, if the law is not being obeyed, if the Torah is not being obeyed, if the teachings are not being followed, the same consequences will be there. And Paul is addressing an awful lot of these things. And much of his writing had to do with the, with the transgression in the midst of the congregation of the people of God, of the Israel of God. In verse 16 he says, I said, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, walk in the law of the Spirit. Not just, what does it mean walk in the Spirit? A lot of people think, you know, I have the Spirit, I'm asking for the Spirit to be in me. I'm led by the Spirit and don't know what it means. In other words, the Spirit leads you to truth. What is truth? The Word of God. What is the Word of God? The teachings of God. The Torah of God. That's what he's saying. Walk in it because the Word of God is Spirit. That's what Jesus Christ told us. My Word is Spirit. My teachings are Spirit. And if my Word does not abide in you, well, you have no life in you. You have war, death. And so he says, walk in the Spirit. Then you are going to overcome the flesh. In verse 17, for the flesh lasts desires, yearns against the spirit. And the spirit lasts, in essence, even though the word is not there, that's in essence what it means, against the flesh. In other words, there is a battle there in between the two. A tag of war, so to speak. And Christ said, he that overcomes, overcomes the flesh with the spirit, 
You know, shall be saved. He that endures until the end. He that overcomes. And we must do that. And it says, and he says, you know, walk in the flesh. That is, uh, for the flesh lusts after the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. That's exactly what Paul said was his problem. He's describing it in Romans chapter 7. He knows those things that are right, but he doesn't find himself doing it. Why? Because the flesh is taking over. And there is constant struggle there between the good nature and the bad nature, as some would call it. And we must overcome, ultimately overcome. In other words, we must obey the Torah. In the letter, we must obey it in the spirit. We must have the faith. We must have the will of God done in us. We must desire His will, because it is of Him both to will and to do. And it is through His Word, His Spirit, which is Spirit also, that we overcome that. And the message has never been different from the Garden of Eden. Has not been different in the Mount Sinai, and throughout the 40 years of the wilderness. Has not been different through all the time of the prophets when they preached to Israel. It's the same religion, it's the same truth, it's the same Torah, it's the same teachings. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. God is the same, He's not changed. And therefore, God is bringing His people, Israel, back to Himself. Now He's doing it gradually. Uh, sprinklings, only first fruits, few here and there. They are called Israel of God, and then He's grafting uh, some among the nations also with them. And they are still in the minority. They will always be the minority. The majority will always be Israel. And all of them are commanded to walk in the same law of the Spirit, as God commanded them even from Sinai. That's why he told them, not only that he gave them the law and said, well, this is my law, you obey it. He also told them, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. He wanted them to obey it in the, in the spirit also, not only in the letter. Even in the courts of the land, they understand what it means, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Well, we're going to stop at this point, and again, this is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people until next time, where we're going to pick up the story from this point. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.